change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podskiwiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, big show today, buddy. Tons of stuff to get into. We are stuffed out the rectum like a Christmas turkey with Ticats news. <laughs> so let's just get right into it. The biggest news of the last week was the Ticats announcing their 2023 coaching staff on Thursday. Most of the familiar names all returned, but there were a couple of huge additions to the staff, Mike. Jeff Reinbold returns for his third stint as the team's special teams coordinator, replacing Craig Butler, who left for what the team is saying is family reasons, but maybe even bigger than Reinbold's return was the hiring of three-time Grey Cup champion Scott Milanovic as a senior assistant coach. What was your first reaction when you heard the news that Reinbold was returning and that Milanovic was coming on board with the Ticats? I was pretty shocked with both of those guys. I mean, Reinbold left the CFL a couple years ago. I think he, he was doing some work overseas with... Um, I'm not sure what network, but he was covering the NFL. And then I think he had a coaching job in the States in some startup league. Um, and then Milanovic, of course, was down south with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I believe, as a quarterback coach for a couple of years. Um, you know, he had that very short stint in Edmonton as he, he came up and then didn't even show up to camp. He uh, declined that position after accepting it. But, yeah, both both really shocked me. I mean, Reinbold back for his third stint with the Ticats. Um, it's nice to have him back. I mean, the guy does a great job on special teams. There's no denying that. So it's great to have him back into the fold. And Milanovic, although I didn't really, I'm not a huge fan of the offense that he ran, you know, that Mark Tressman style offense that I feel like took over the CFL for a while there and maybe still has his grips on it. But he's a proven coach, right? He's won a great cup as a head coach. He's went down south to do his trade in the NFL. So I think both of these guys are good additions. Yeah, the the Reinbold news, I think, was less surprising. We found out in the aftermath that Butler had told the team that he was stepping aside a while ago. And if you go look at Reinbold's social media, go look at his Twitter. He's talking a lot about the Ticats in the lead up to the announcement. And I saw him talking about I saw him posting some tweets and I was like, this is kind of interesting. Why is he all of a sudden talking? Because you, you, you talked about football all the time, but he's now specifically zeroing in on the Ticats. Um, this is very curious. So it got my antennas up. And then when the announcement was made, I put kind of put two and two together. The Milanovic thing came out of nowhere. Like you mentioned, he was with the Jags. I think he was most recently with the Colts. They obviously had mm -hmm. uh, staff turnover. They fired uh, Frank Wright as their head coach in the middle of the season last year. Complete new staff there. So he was out. To have him come on board... I'm with you that that uh, Milanovic Tressman kind of West Coast offense that took the CFL by storm in kind of the early 2010s, which was very successful. I mean, Tressman won a pair of great cups mm -hmm. with Milanovic 
as his offensive coordinator. Then, then Milanovic goes to Toronto and wins a great cup there. And then Tressman comes back and takes over in uh, 2017 in the Argos and wins another great cup. So I understand that, that there. I just think that having that much experience on the coaching staff, you look, you have Steinauer, who's in his fourth year as head coach. Mark Washington and Tommy Condell are back for their fourth years in their position with the team. You get Ryan Bold back, who is one of the best special teams coordinators in the league, and we'll talk about him in a second. But with Milanovic, you get him in, and as kind of an assistant, you kind of oversee everything. And he has so, so an extensive head coaching resume in the CFL, very successful with the Argos, maybe their most successful coach since Don Matthews. Like, but, uh, aside from Dinwiddie right now, can you really think of another coach in – like, I guess my uh, pinball was pretty successful, but he never really wanted to be the head coach. But it was like, yeah. it was like Don Matthews with the Flutie team. And then it was kind of, they had that little run there in the, in the mid two thousands. That wasn't, it was good. Like they won a great cup in 04 and they were constantly in the mix, but they weren't, they weren't like a juggernaut or anything. And then you had Milanovic's era where they finished first a couple of times. They, they won the great cup. It fell off near the end there, but he, probably one of the more successful coaches they've had there in the past 25 years to get him on board as an assistant coach. And, and obviously this is, this is a stopgap for him. He's not going to stay with the tiger cats in this role for the remainder of his career, but he's going to be here this year. And I think having that much brain power on the team, that much experience in the coaching staff, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. What about you? No, I, I don't think it's a bad thing either. It reminds me of bringing in Kari Jones last year, right? And, mm. and I, I don't think that hurt the team by any means, but it was kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like a similar role to Milanovic. Like he's called an, a, a senior assistant coach. I'm not sure what that is, but um, I know that he's part of the staff and I know he'll be putting his input into the team and the offensive schemes and all that stuff. So I don't think it can hurt at all. And I don't think they're going to overdo it with the uh, with the West Coast kind of style offense. No, I do wonder. And I will say that, like, oh, sorry. sorry no, about no, that. no, 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 go I, ahead. Go, I, go ahead. I also look at um, a guy like Mike Gibson, who's the offensive line coach, who's been around the league for many, many years now. And I think he's going to do a fabulous job with the talent that he has on this offensive line. Yeah, like, I, I, I mean, that's a great point about Gibson. Another, like you said, guy who's been around forever probably been a CFL coach. He's at least been a coach longer than you and I both have been alive, but maybe he might've even been in the CFL before we were, we came from our mother's wombs mm-hmm. um, with, with Milanovic, like you have Condell there, you have Bo who's used to it, kind of a melding of all these systems. It, it could be a pretty interesting collaboration with all those guys, not to jump ahead. We're going to talk about training camp in, in a little bit, but in, in what I saw at training camp, he was mostly working with the quarterbacks when all the groups would break out and do other stuff and the quarterbacks would go do their own thing. Milanovic was kind of there overseeing the right. quarterbacks with Condell. So, and remember Milanovic was a quarterback in this league too, and has quarterback experience. So he was kind of working with those guys. So I think that that, again, he's a senior assistant coach, good chance that he'll be, he'll be, and, and head coach experience means he's, he's done defense, special teams and offense and all that stuff. So he'll have his fingers yep. in, in kind of all the pies, but it looked to yep. me like most focusing on the quarterbacks when I saw him the last couple of days. Which makes sense because, you know, when he was in the fold in Toronto, I mean, look at the guys that they had at quarterback. They had a Zach Caleros, <laughs> they had a Trevor Harris, they, uh, who else did they have there? I mean, it just seemed like there were starting quarterbacks coming out of Toronto left, right, and center when he was around. There, there are three quarterbacks in the 2012 Grey Cup were Ricky Ray, Zach Caleros, and Trevor Harris. And now we, Ricky Ray, obviously Hall of Famer, Claros back-to-back MOP on his route to 
making the Hall of Fame as well. Trevor Harris, pretty darn good. Starting, uh, like mm-hmm. he, he hasn't won a Grey Cup as a starter, but he's had a lot of success. Now he's he's got a big contract. Like can't really quibble with with what Milanovic was able to do in Toronto when it came to developing quarterbacks. And we know in Hamilton, it's been a long time. Like aside from Dane Evans getting his shot last year, it's been a. Re- and I guess you could say Jeremiah Mazzoli in a bit, but he came into the league with Edmonton, so it's 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 not the same. The Ticats don't tend to bring guys in who then. Like they don't bring guys into the league as unknowns and then develop them into starting quarterbacks. They do what they did this year. They go and get a proven veteran. They go and get a Bo Levi Mitchell. They go and get a, a Henry Burris. They go and grab a Zach Caleros, an up and comer, but came in with someone else. Danny McManus, same sort of thing. This could be that could be part of his role here is to kind of see if if they can develop. Now they only have three quarterbacks in camp. Uh, they have a fourth, but it's it's that like see uh, you know the Canadian you know, camp arm that they bring. Every team has like one from a, from a U sport school. I think it's McMaster's quarterback, I believe is the one that's in uh, with the tie cats, which makes sense. But uh, I do wonder if, if this is maybe to, you know, you got Bo, you know what he can do. You got Schiltz, you know what he can do, but then there's Jamie Newman. He's that, he's that third guy. Maybe that's sort of the Milanovic there to be like, I see something in him. He can be developed and further, or maybe it's, you know what? I think he's plateaued. He is what he is. We got to go get someone else. So there, there's there's definitely some interesting dynamics there. Sticking with Milanovic for one more second, though, a lot of fans are doing kind of what they did last year when the team hired Kahari Jones, and you mentioned him earlier as a consultant, saying that hiring Milanovic was done in the in case the team gets off to a slow start, and then he can eventually replace Tommy Condell's offense offensive coordinator or even Orlando Steinauer as the head coach. I'll give you my opinion in a second. I, I'm sure you can tell with the disdain in my voice how I feel. What do you make of all that talk? Do you think it's as ridiculous as I do? Yeah, I do. Um, Orlando Steinhauer is the president of football operations. He hired, he hired Milanovic. He didn't exactly. hire his job. Exactly. He didn't hire Milanovic just to come in and steal Tommy Condell's job and potentially steal his own job. So Scott Milanovic was brought in to help this team. End of story. Now, if this team does terribly, anything can happen. Correct. But the reason Melanich was brought in is to help this team on offense and as a whole. There's no conspiracy theory on, you know, Milanovic is going to take over everything and uh, be the president and the head coach. Yeah, I like I said, I just think that mentality amongst fans, I don't understand. Like teams don't enter football seasons with a coaching staff and with players that they don't think they can win with. Every team right now thinks they're going to win the Grey Cup, whether they were 4-14 and last year or 14-4. and Every team is going into camp thinking they have the players and the coaches have to win the Grey Cup. No one is going in hiring coaches on the chance that the team stumbles and they have to make a change. It was ridiculous when they did it. Like, people thought it last year with Jones. Now, the difference then was they brought Jones in midseason and the team was struggling, but clearly the, the plan was never to use Jones as a replacement for Condell or Steinauer. Milanovic's hiring is not as a replacement for either of those guys or for anyone on staff. He's here likely only for a year unless they make him the head coach. Like, like you said, anything's possible. Anything can happen. But Milanovic was not hired with the express idea that, well, if things go south, he can take over. To be quite frank, that's loser mentality. That's people being like, well, we got we to gotta buttress ourselves from failure. Guys who make this level as a player or as a coach, don't have that mentality. In their minds, they think they can go undefeated, mm-hmm. score 100 points a game, and crush everyone. They know that that's not the case because they're rational people, but no one makes it to the top of these types of professions without being extremely confident, borderline egotistical on what they can do. Just a, Fans need to just stop with this type of talk. It's just, it's just absolutely ludicrous, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, if it hap- if something happens, it happens, and we, we can talk about it then. But there's no point exactly. in projecting ahead into the future, and you know, projecting losses or projecting a nine and nine season because that's just loser talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, nine nine and nine is average talk. Okay, eight, there we go. Eight and ten. Is, like, if you win as many right. as you lose, you're average. Uh, it's a little mediocre for you. <laughs> All right, let's move on to talking about Reinbold's return. Hamilton's special teams were pretty good last year under Butler. And we know what type of special teams coach Reinbold is from his two previous stints here. Is it possible that this unit could get even better under Reinbold's tutelage, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Craig Butler did a fine job, but you can't match the experience of Jeff Reinbold. He's been all over the world coaching. He's done the special teams things for a long time with the Ticats. I mean, he's done a lot of good things in Hamilton. Um, bringing him in, in, back into the fold, I think, is a is a good thing. And uh, I'm I'm starting to get excited about it. He's also the assistant assistant defensive backs coach. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, like, you got to remember in his two previous stints here, he coached two guys to top special teams awards: Speedy B in 2015, Frankie Williams in 2019. We saw out of Lawrence Woods what we saw last year. If if Reinbold can unlock that next gear in Lawrence Woods. I think he's someone who, when we do kind of a preview, we, we might have to think of, could he be a guy in the conversation for special teams player of the year? Because we saw how good he was last year under basically a, a Reinbold disciple. Butler came up in this Ticat system under Reinbold and took over for him. So a lot, I, I'm sure he had his own ideas, but a lot of his, his coaching acumen came from, well, this is what Jeff did. Now you bring the teacher back to replace the student and you look at what, Butler was able to do last year. I look at what the Ticats have on special teams this year. It does get me a, a wee a wee bit excited. And I do wonder if maybe this can get to another level. And then that's the difference between this team going eight and 10 last year, or maybe going something like 12 and six this year, you know? Yeah, exactly. And maybe Jeff Reinbull wasn't the best defensive coordinator. Uh, no, it, that, 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 role, that role didn't suit him. Yeah. But as an assistant defensive back coach, maybe he can be very uh, efficient. I, I'm not sure, but I think that uh, he'll do a fine job back with the Ticats. He's back where he belongs. I mean, there's no point of leaving again and all that stuff. Just just stick around this time. So we know the team has made plenty of big moves on the player side of the ball, and now they've reeled in some pretty large fish on the coaching side as well. If you weren't convinced the Ticats were all in to win this year, you have to be right now. Yeah, I mean, with the additions to the coaching staff, the experience they brought in, a guy like Scott Milanovic with, uh, you know, has won great cups in this league. So, yeah, there's no question in my mind that, the, you know, all the chips are on the table for 2023. You know what I, you know what I just, you mentioned the Milanovic won the great cup and it clicked into my head. He worked with Steinhauer in Toronto. Steinhauer was the uh, DB's coach in Toronto okay. in, in 2012 before he came over to Hamilton in 2013 to be defensive coordinator. So they have some familiarity with each other so that's probably one of the reasons they were able to get milanovic in the fold yeah that would that would be probably be a big factor into that yeah uh and then tommy condell had a little bit of time in with the argonauts did he not but yeah, not but like I, around the same time but yeah but i think that was with he was definitely he was with the argos in 2017 you know what i'm gonna look that up because he might have gone there with when milanovic was still head coach but i know he was there in 2017 when when they won the great cup when they with, won the great uh, cup under uh Tresman. so let me look i'm gonna look up his uh resume here he yeah he was receivers coach in toronto in 2017 and 2018 and then he was offensive okay. coordinator toronto argonauts offensive coordinator in 2018 oh argo yeah okay so in 2017 2018 he was receivers coach and in 2018 he's also the offensive coordinator then he came okay. back to him okay 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 uh, we're 
that, I, I, I don't know why I was confused there for a second. I was like, wait. So was- Milanovic won a great cup with the Argonauts, and so did Com- uh, Tommy Condell. So now it's time. To win one here. So did, yeah. And so did Orlando. So did Orlando. So, yeah, it's time to pay back the favor, baby. For sure. All right, one last thing before we move on. There's been a lot of speculation, and it's mostly been by salty Argos fans, that by having 13 coaches, the Ticats are somehow skirting the rules when it comes to that football operations salary cap. I may or may not have gotten into some back and forth with some Argo fans where I may or may not have called some of them dingleberries and doofuses. (laughs) But even though it wasn't publicized, because why would the league be transparent about something, Mike? The amount of coaches is no longer capped at 11. If you don't believe me, Farhan Lalji said the same thing when he was asked much more politely by some Ryder fans. So you can go on his Twitter account. You can find what he said. So for anyone worried that the Cats are kind of skirting the rules here, they are not. They may be paying more than they're allowed to, but that's something we will talk about if it ever comes out that they did. And even then, it's still not cheating, just like with the player salaries. If you spend over the cap, you pay a fine or you lose draft picks. It's a soft cap, not a hard cap. So if teams want to spend over, they're welcome to do so and then pay the fine and pay the penalty for it. I just wanted to get that information out there in case there's anyone still under the incorrect assumption that the Ticats were doing something wrong by having 13 coaches on staff because this did permeate the discussion when was it last Thursday? I believe they made this announcement. Mm-hmm. This was like the first thing most people pointed out. They're like, there's 13 players, there's 13 coaches on the staff. They're cheating, blah, 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 blah. How about we look into stuff first before we start? I mean, I know it's social media. I know it's Twitter. So the, the initial idea is just, I'm just going to blurt something out and be angry about something. Look it up, mm-hmm. figure it out. Now, and, and in this case, honestly, I don't blame people for thinking that because that the CFL put that out there. Teams can have 11 coaches. They can have, I think it was 15 people in the front office or whatever it was. And then they changed it, never publicized it. So I understand people, but now we know for certain that's not the case. So we can all just calm down and not worry about it, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's a non-issue. And um, for anyone thinking that that uh, the Podsky Wee Wee or, or Josh and I, uh, you know, complained when the Argos went over the cap. Not true. Stuff, we, we never did. We never did. We just, we only, we only complained when they didn't get punished for it yep. uh, in the COVID year. But otherwise, we've always had the stance of, hey, it's not a real salary cap. You can go go over if you want. If you want to go over, go over. It's not a huge deal to us. So I just wanted to straighten that out as well. We just talk, what, what was the last episode of the episode before when the four teams went over the cap? We we both said, not a big deal. Don't care. No. You're gonna pay the no. fine. I don't even care if you spend a million dollars over and lose a an entire like. If that's what you want to do, if you're willing to pay the penalty, it's fine yeah. by me. I do yeah. not care. It's not my money. If you, if you're a team and if you do it and you win, good for you. Other teams should do it. You like I said back then, we don't complain about the Golden State Warriors spending five hundred million dollars in a league that has a hundred and something million dollar salary cap in the NBA. We don't complain about the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox spending two hundred, three hundred million on payroll when there's a, a quote unquote cap in those leagues. People just need to stop because the NFL has a hard salary cap. Teams are not allowed to go over it. I think people think the CFLs is the same way. So then they see a team that spent $70,000 over. It's like, oh, they're cheating. Not the case. They're paying a luxury tax. And sometimes it's, it's things out of their control. I know the Ticats one time got got fined for going over the cap because they had too many guys make all-star bonuses. I think it was 2013 or 2014 because the team was so good. A bunch of their players made all-star bonuses and they didn't account that in the cap. So they had to pay a fine. It is what it is. People need to stop thinking it's cheating. And, and like you and I don't care. Argos do it. Riders do it. Lions. I, I don't care. Just You're going to pay the fine. You're going to pay the penalty. Go nuts. It's your money. Do whatever you want. And I've always said, like, I'm sure it'd be different if this was actually put in it, put into action. 
But I've always thought that why don't the Argos like if if the Argos are owned by MLSC, they have all mm-hmm. that money. Why not just go over the cap every year and be that team, be the evil, yep, you know, team from the big city. Be the and Yankees. maybe they could, yeah. And then maybe that would, if they could have like that kind of mentality and like to try to dominate the CFL every single year with top end players because you're spending more money than everybody else. I think that would draw fans. I do. I think if you had that dominant team each year from Toronto, big bad Toronto. I think that that might draw some fans, but at the same time, I'm sure I would hate it if it was actually put into action, but I think it'd be a good idea for them. Sports is better when there's some like life, like entertainment. I shouldn't say life entertainment is better when there's a villain to defeat. Like you don't go to a movie and hope that everyone's a good guy. Like that's not fun. You don't watch wrestling and hope that one, that the two good guys fight. It's not, you want to, you want an antagonist and a protagonist and you want them to go head to head. Other sports have that dynasties, I think dynasties are good for sports. Like Winnipeg being as good as they are is good for the league because you have a team that everyone wants to see get knocked from the top of the mountain. Tom Brady, as much as I hate him, was good for the NFL because you want to – people will tune in to see them lose. And when they do, they'll get joy out of it. If the Argos did that, decided we're going to spend – the salary cap's $5.5 million, We're going to spend $10 million and we're going to bring in right. everyone, and we're going to run roughshod over this league. The team that beat them would be – I mean, what's one of the games that we all – Ticats fans always remember it's the 1991 Labor Day Classic. The Ticats were terrible that year. I believe they went into that game winless. The big bad Argos come in. Now the Argos ended up winning the Gray Cup that year, but they had done again and they had Rocket and they had this just they juggernaut of a team. And they come in on Labor Day and the Ticats absolutely smoked them. And that's still a game 30 something, almost 35 years later, we still talk about. So. Yeah, the, 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 the big bad Baltimore Stallions against the BC absolutely. Lions in 1994, like that kind of stuff. It's absolutely it gets you like I remember that 94 game. I was super excited for that game just because it was like the you know the big bad team from the states with no Canadians against you know this little team from BC that has to play Canadians and they won and it was a great story and it captivated the whole country uh, how I remember it. So I mean we we're not going to have that again with the states and I don't think we should go down that path, but. Yeah, we have we, we should have juggernauts in this league, like like the Montreal Alouettes with Calvillo all those years, mm-hmm. and so on and so on. So I think it's good for the league as well. Yeah, like at that time with those Alouettes teams, I hated them. Oh, I couldn't yeah. stand Calvillo. Looking back on it now, that time has passed, and we everything's man. We got to watch Anthony Calvillo just play that some of the best football we've ever seen in this league. We were we were lucky to watch that, but in the moment, you absolutely hated it. And but that's what made it fun. You wanted to knock off the big bad Alouettes and. What what's another game that we all remember? 2011 East semifinal, right? You posted yeah, some that, clips that on it, it just a few a few months back, I think. Yep. Being able to knock off the big bad owls in their their they were they're back to back defending champions. You get to go into Montreal, have one of the greatest games ever, and finally slay that dragon. I mean, those those are the things that that makes like your team's not gonna. I mean, we know this better than everyone. Your team's not gonna win the Grey Cup every year. Your team's not gonna win a championship every year. But those little steps, those those little moments where you can say, oh, we got the best of that team that was so back-to-back defending champions, and we, we're the ones that meet, are the reason they didn't win three. I mean, that feels pretty good. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we I don't really remember that next week we went into Winnipeg and got our asses kicked. No. I just remember knocking off the, the big bad Montreal Alouettes in the East yep. 70 final in the Big O in front of, like, 30,000 people. So and, and it was a tremendous game to boot. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll always remember that game. I say the same thing about the 2013 East Final. 
that was our when yeah. Saskatchewan beat Calgary. I knew there was no chance we were going to win the cup that year, but getting over the hump and getting back and doing it by going into Toronto, Henry Burris playing the game that he did, the game being as good as it was, being in, I was in person for the game, so that added yeah, the atmosphere out. was was incredible. Tremendous, I heard tremendous, yeah, absolutely great cup level atmosphere. That's the thing that I take away from that season. Not the fact that they got blown out a week later. That that's yeah, it happened, and the Riders fans got to celebrate the Grey Cup, and that's great. And people might say, oh, just getting to the championship doesn't matter. Like the people who make the, you know, they've lost their last four trips to the cup. To me, get, it's, the journey is part of it as well. That stands out as the, the highlight moment from that year for me. And and it was the step in the evolution of this team. And that's what makes sports fun. You got to kind of take it all in. It's not just the destination, it's the journey as well. But we've kind of gotten off track here. So let's get back on, let's get back on track here. Moving on, we're going to talk about the player side of things. And it was a busy week on that front for the Ticats as well as they made a series of roster moves over the last week. The biggest one, of course, came on Wednesday when the team released former all-star receiver Braylon Addison. Addison had been with the Ticats since September of 2018 when he was released by the Toronto Argonauts and then signed. Never played for the Argos, but came over and was kind of an unknown and then ended up blossoming into one of the league's most versatile weapons during his time in Hamilton. He was a key member of that 2019 team that set a franchise record for wins in a season with 15. And he personally set career highs across the board, catches, yards, and touchdowns. The last two seasons were unfortunately not too kind to Addison as he played in just 11 of a possible 32 games in 2021 and 2022. He and the team could not come to an agreement on a restructured contract for this season, so the team eventually released him. If you haven't read it yet, Mike, I'm saying saying this to you, I'm saying this to anyone out there listening. I highly recommend going out of your way to find Steve Milton's piece on on Addison's release from the Hamilton Spectator last week. Goes into some great detail about the negotiations that led to Addison's release from Addison's side. I think it's well worth your time to give it a read. It's a, it's a really good piece really kind of gives you some insight into how that process played out. Addison wasn't out of the, out of work long. No, as he was scooped up by surprise, surprise the Ottawa red blacks on Saturday, but he will begin their season on the six game injured list as he continues to recover from the torn Achilles. He suffered last season. And then, unbeknownst to a lot of people re-injured in the fall when he took a spill at home and had to have a second surgery on his knee. So Mike, what do you make of the team moving on from Addison? Do you agree with the decision or do you think the team should have done more to keep him in Hamilton? Um, I was pretty surprised by the, by the cut, um, you know, so close to training camp. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to read Steve Milton's piece. But, oh, do it. Okay. I'll check that out. Um, you know, it's unfortunate because this is a guy that showed so much in previous years with the Ticats before all the injuries, um, I think he's, you know, you never know with the, that type of stuff, you know, getting injured again, having a second surgery, that's really tough. You just, you just don't know if he's going to be the same player anymore. And, and, and maybe he will be, maybe he will be great. Maybe he will, um, tra- tra- transition into a new role in the receiving core, more of a possession guy who knows, uh, maybe he has a lot more years left in the tank, but obviously the Hamilton Tiger Cats did not think so. Um, he would have been brought back if, if they thought he did. Because he's 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 a tremendous talent, and he would be another veteran receiver in that core. Besides, you know, Duke Williams, Tim White has a couple of years, but he's still pretty young. Um, I think that veteran presence would be uh, really well received with the Tiger Cats because it's kind of a younger core. But obviously, they made a decision to move on, and and I'm gonna go with them because I have no choice. Other, it's sad to see him go, but uh, but that's the way it goes. Were you surprised you was scooped up so quickly? I mean, you weren't surprised you scooped up by Ottawa, right? Like that was right. Yeah, it was. He was either going to Ottawa or he was going to Toronto. Right? Like mm-hmm. ex Ticats players either move up the QEW or they go or they go up to to the nation's capital. Those are the only two spots they ever land, right? 
yeah, it's the only options for them ever. Um, <laughs> well, especially since uh, Berg came into the fold with Ottawa. Exactly. It wasn't so much back in the day. But, but yeah, I, uh, a little bit surprised because I figured that they're, the Ticats released him because they're worried about the injuries. But, you know, Ottawa's going to bring him into camp. Obviously, Berkey's very familiar with them. Uh, they're going to see what he has. And uh, I, I wish him the best of luck. I really do. I hope he, I hope he has a, still has a long career left in the CFL, makes a lot of money. Um, I just hope he doesn't play well against the Ticats. <laughs> of course. He did say, so in, in Milton's piece, it's unfortunate I haven't read it yet because I'm going to go into some detail about it. He talked about the negotiations with the team and the team came to him and asked him to take a pay cut. They wanted to pay him almost league minimum. Uh, he said he wanted, he said, meet me halfway. They said, no. He said, meet me a quarter way. They said, no. Then he's apparently said he would be willing to do incentives so that he could make his money back if he performed. The team mm-hmm. still said no. So I don't necessarily know if the team released him or if it was kind of a, more of a mutual parting of ways. Of course, this is Addison's side of the story as well. So he's obviously going to put himself in a, in a much better light. I don't think there's a villain here. I think we need to stop with the uh, a player gets released on the eve of camp or an injured player gets like, oh, he, he was due a bonus. So if they, they were going to cut, we got to stop with that. Like the players know it's a business. The teams obviously know it's a business. This, this is just something that happens. How many guys that, that we have that have been beloved for any franchise have been have been let go or traded or, or cut, you know what I mean? Like it, it happens all across sports, but the incentive thing, like I, I, I understand the team's moving away from him. He has been injured the last two years. Like I said, only played in 11 of 32 games the last two seasons. That's simply not enough for a guy who was, I believe when, when three down released the, the list of the top receivers, he was in the top, like 15, 20 highest paid receivers for a guy like that. He's got to be available. You got to be able to play. You can't, you can't put $140,000, $150,000, into a guy who's, who doesn't see the field for almost three years. Because you got to remember, didn't play in 2020 either because there was no season. So that 2019 season where he kind of broke out as a, a borderline superstar was a fair time ago now. I'm not surprised he got scooped up. I'm not surprised by any of that. The incentive thing is the one area where I do kind of wish they could have come to an agreement on because I think that's a really fair – like a veteran guy who knows – Hey, yeah, I haven't performed the last couple of years, but I'm willing to redo my deal. But you got to put it. I'm willing to take lesser money, but put these incentives in place for me to earn that money back by being on the field, by being the uh, the star receiver that I know I can be. I don't think that that's an unfair compromise. And I kind of wish the team would have gone in that route. Even if you had to stash him on the sixth game with, with with a lower base salary, the chance of him hitting those incentives. And we don't know what they were. Maybe they were, you know, low and and were easy to to main to to hit, even if he's going to miss six seven games. But I feel like that incentive based thing. I wish the team would have found a way to keep him and make that work because I I feel like that's a that's a fair compromise, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I, I do because I mean, if he hits those, uh, if he hits them, then then it's both good for him and the team, right? So that would be a no risk type of contract that I think they would have. You know, I I think that seems fair, and I think that would have kept him on the team, and and it would have been beneficial for both the parties. But uh, you know, I guess the Tie Cats think that they have the young talent, that they just they just don't they don't need him anymore. They don't uh, want to pay the money for him anymore. They want younger guys to come in and uh, grab that job. That's just that's you know how I look at it, anyways. Yeah, and I think that's a fair way to look at it too. They they've spent money in other areas that they hadn't spent in the past. 
that means cuts are going to come somewhere. And we're going to talk about the receivers, I think, when we talk about training camps, because there have been some young guys that in the last couple of days kind of stood out to me. But Addison wasn't the only player released last week, as the Ticats also let go of former number one overall pick Jake Burt, as well as Canadian offensive lineman Alex Fontana, Canadian defensive back Zach Herzog, American defensive back Demarcus Acey, American defensive backs, sorry, Demarcus Acey and Brandon Easterling, and American kicker Peyton Henry. The last three were let go following the completion of the team's two-day rookie camp last week. Burt is clearly the biggest name of this group. He was a top pick in the 2021 draft, missed his entire rookie year, and ended up catching or ended up playing in just 10 games with the Tiger Cats, catching four passes for 40 yards in his Tiger Cats career. We were so excited to see what the offensive staff could cook up for Burt, and it ended up being a whole lot of nothing. If you look back on that 2021 draft, though, there isn't a lot there, so it's not like the Ticats missed out on some franchise-altering player. I looked back on it after this. I was like, who could they have taken number one overall? And the, the only one that really kind of stood out to me was Peter Nicastro, the offensive lineman that the Argos took in the first round. He's he's blossomed into one of the better offensive linemen in the league, so maybe you go there, and that negates the need for some of the other trades and spending, but you, you know what I mean? Like, you look at that, the rest of the guys picked, there, there's like Ben Halatic was picked there, but he starts in BC. I don't know if he would start in Hamilton. I think there was a receiver in Calgary. I can't remember which one it was. He plays, but he's not a superstar by any stretch of the imagination. So the, the 2021 draft is not exactly br- like, you know, filled to the brim with guys where it's like, oh man, you took him, but you should have taken him, 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 him. It's really just the one guy. But the Ticat selected Burt, got almost nothing out of him. There's no other way to put this. And this was a complete bust of a pick, right? Yeah, absolutely. It seems that they pick anyone, you know, first overall or That's in the first round out. who's yeah, is who's a receiver or like a, a fullback slash receiver type of player. Uh, it just hasn't worked out recently for the Tiger Cats, and it's it's unfortunate because, like you said, we were pumped up about this guy coming into the offense. You know, the the possibilities, what they could do with him with a big body like that. And it just didn't work out, whether it was injuries or just not getting on the field or getting on the field and not contributing. It just was, yeah, it it was a very disappointing stint for Jake Bird. And I'm not sure if he's going to, you know, get any other looks on any other teams or, or what his future holds, because he just didn't show anything in Hamilton. If I was to guess he's, you know, a Saskatchewan guy, I wouldn't be surprised if the Riders gave him gave him a, gave him a shot, but he, we, we expect him to be this like unstoppable red zone weapon. He, I mean, he only played 10 games and missed a full season with injury. So like, there's that, but you know, just like with Addison, like you have to be able to play if, if, if you're going to be on the team and he just wasn't able to play. It's just, uh, the, 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 I won't say hype, but the, the excitement level we had two years ago at this time when he was selected thinking what they could do and, to ended up being amounting to a, a hill of beans, just it's a little disappointing by both the team yeah. and the player. So, I mean, I hope he finds if he, if he stays in football, he finds somewhere to go and, and has a productive career ahead of him. Just wish it, he, they could have found some way or he could have found some way to be on the field here. And the team could have found some way to utilize him. Cause I still think that that big body tight end type could be a difference maker in a CFL offense. If a team ever figured out how to utilize that to its fullest capabilities. And now, do you think we have, you know, any sour feelings, you know, up towards the draft because of all the, you know, the swings and misses in the first round that the Ticats have had thinking like, I know we don't think that, you know, the draft 
is you know useless or are not important because these players are coming from somewhere, right? These Canadian mm-hmm. players are coming from somewhere. They're some of them are going to be drafted. But you do you think that maybe seeing all these first round guys that haven't panned out maybe kind of made you look at the draft and being like, oh, maybe it's not as important as people make it out to be. I think it. I think that's part of it simply because the team's been fairly successful over the last five years, and they haven't really hit on a big time draft pick in almost 10, you know what I mean? Like Revenberg was probably the last like home run first round pick they made. They've made some solid picks like Katz and Tonus, but he was a later round pick. That's a good pick, but it's not like he's a starter or anything, but I I just think he's a good player and will eventually be a starter. But you look at the tie cats from 2018. So they, obviously you're talking about the Mark Chapman, they trade up to the first pick, take Chapman, never signs with the team, never plays in the CFL 2018. They make these final 2019. They've wasted a first round pick in 2018 on Chapman. And then 2019, they take, they took Jesse Gibbon in the first round. Doesn't really play for them. They go 15, three, make the gray cup 2020 scratch that 2021. They take, I mean, they took Wood Manzi in 2020. He's turned into a starter, but yeah, he's turned I, out. Yep. I don't know. I don't know if I'd call him a superstar. Like he's not Revenberg, but he's starting on the team and that's what you want to do. Three years in you, he, your, your yep. offensive line, you took in the first round starter. That's a good pick. 2021. They take Burt. They get literally nothing out of his rookie season. They make the gray cup last year was obviously a down year. But they make, they still made the plus. Like again, they haven't won a championship, but they've been in the championship fight every year these last four seasons over the five years. And the draft has not been like we got one starter out of those five draft picks. Eh. Like I maybe I, yeah. I think that's part of the reason, at least for me, it's like because people always say like you have to build your Canadian talent through the draft because they're cheaper. You can't just go out and get them in free agency. Okay, well, the Ticats went and got Chris Van Zyl in free agency. They went out and traded for David Beard. Mm, right, right. And they're cheaper in the draft, but you're not going to see dividends. You're not, they're not going to be starters you might usually. Not, you might not get them until their third year when they're in the last year of their yeah, contract. And then, next year. and then after their first couple of years, then they become valuable. Then they become starters. And yep. usually it's like another team that snaps them up, right? So, yeah, it's it's very interesting, the CFL draft. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, though. Like, it's not not important but right. i think it's 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 ranking of importance on building your canadian ro- it's good for building canadian depth i will right. say that because you get a lot of good special teams guys out of there but no one watches a draft to be like who's going to be the gunner on punt return you watch it to see who's going to be the next superstar player on your team which is why i always kind of gravitate towards receivers because at least canadian receivers offensive linemen are obviously important but canadian receivers have a chance to break out although it's been a while since we've seen i mean aside from curly gittins it's been a been a bit of a lull it's like Andy Fantuz came in 06 and it was like some good but not great ones until we get to Gittins a couple of years ago but yeah I, I I do wonder if if our if our opinions on the draft are changed that was a really good question and um, once again I, I derailed the conversation but now yeah, we can get back on track <laughs> that's okay we got so much stuff to talk about we're we're gonna go super long today anyway so mm-hmm. everyone who's listening just strap in we got we're we're not I don't think we're halfway done Tiger Cat stuff yet um, but that's it for the guys that are no longer here. Let's talk about some of the guys who are here and who are staying around. And the big one is obviously Canadian offensive lineman David Beard signed a contract extension with the team that will keep him in black and gold through the 2024 season. Beard was acquired by the Ticats last September and almost immediately became the team's starting center. And many around the league that that I've talked to, that other people have talked to, consider the Sherwood Park Alberta native to be the best center in the CFL currently. Given that you're an offensive line guy, Mike, how happy were you to see Beard sign on for more years with the Tiger Cats? Ecstatic. You know, like you said, considered one of the best, if not the best center in the league 
Uh, you know, I, I'm a fan of Chris Jones and, and what he's doing in Edmonton. But the David Beard trade or, or getting rid of him is mistake. a big head scratch. Yeah, it was a mistake. It's a big head scratcher to me. This guy's a solid, and he's from Alberta. I mean, it just makes sense for him to be on that team. But, you know, he's with the Ticats now. He's with the better team. He's decided to re-up with them, an extension. So I'm overjoyed. I think that this guy's going to be the anchor of the offensive line for many years to come. When Pete, when this move happened, I saw a lot of people going, oh, this is Chestnut Checkers by Chris Jones. Beard's only got a, a one more year on his contract after this year, so he's going to get this stuff from the Thai Cats, and then Beard's going to go back to Edmonton, and that didn't nope. happen. And if you go back and look at the trade, because I uh, I look back to see what the Thai Cats traded to get Beard and what that ended up becoming. So they traded Jesse Gibbon, who had unfortunately under he's a Hamilton boy. He went to my high school, Sherwood Secondary School. I was rooting for the guy to succeed with the Thai Cats. Never took a starting spot. He was one of those developmental offensive linemen that never kind of took hold of 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 a chance. To, I mean, they wouldn't have traded for David Beard if Jesse Gibbon had developed into a starter. So, but he 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 was part of the deal to go to Edmonton. He was there for a cup of coffee. He's now in Montreal. They also got a second round pick, which they ended up trading to get the. I think believe they traded to Ottawa for a Canadian linebacker that was selected in like the fifth round. So they the assets that they got, pardon me, for Beard. They didn't like okay maybe maybe I think it's I think his name's Woodley Apollon is is the player they got and his his twin brother plays on the Elks as well so maybe they've they 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 got better at that spot but you take a second round pick and you get a, a, a younger offensive lineman and you don't really use either of them I mean what's what's with us in, in just like fleecing Edmonton when it comes to trades like it doesn't seem right. to matter who the GM is there the better yeah. player always ends up coming to Hamilton we end, always end up benefiting from it in the end. Maybe it, it stems from uh, the trade we, we did with them many, many years ago. We oh. gave them Troy, Troy Davis and, and they Montford. went on that, and Joe Montford, they went on that great cup run. Uh, maybe they're just paying back the, uh, maybe this year is our turn, right? That's, this year's that's, our turn. We got David Beard. But David Beard, I mean, you, you can't say good, you know, enough good things about him. He's young, relatively young, only 30 years old, and that's relatively young for an offensive lineman. Yep. They can play close to 40. Um, you know, it differs from personal purpose and obviously, but there's still uh, many good years left for Beard, I believe. Yeah, you got you got to um, think he's got at least five more years in him at at yeah. at, at peak yeah. peak ability, right? Yeah, and that's what I'm penciling in for Bowley by Mitchell as well. Like he's 32 yep. now, I think he has five, you know, peak years left in him. But going back to Beard, I mean, the guy's a monster as well for the interior of the offensive line. Six foot five, 320 pounds. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but that just seems like a massive center. That that seems like more of a, a left tackle or a right tackle kind of size. So the guy's a monster in the middle, and he's going to be great for the Tiger Cats for years to come. When we broke down the team's O-line a few weeks back, one of the things we brought up as an area of concern was that none of their top seven Canadian offensive linemen were signed beyond this season. Inking Beard to an extension obviously changes that, but are there any other linemen you want to see the Tabbies get under contract for 2024 and beyond. And you can't say all of them. You got to pick somebody. Well, uh, I think it'd be, it'd be really smart to lock up Ravenberg. I think that you have to replace someone. Uh, you know, Van Zyl is not going to play forever. So I think it'd be smart to lock up Saxlid. You know, I'm not sure if he's going to be the the right time. We'll, we'll get into the offensive line. And obviously it's only the first couple of days of training camp. So, you know, I don't expect you to, you know, map out the every starter <laughs> that's going to be there but um we'll get to what you saw um but i I think it'd be smart to lock down a a guy to replace van zyle when he steps away as well 
Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking. I don't know who that guy's going to be. Sackland would be the, I think the uh, the most obvious. I mean, I think they made the trade for him last year with the idea that he was going to take over for Van Zyl at some point. So, Revenberg's obviously the big fish. I I, I, I kind of I'm kind of just in agreement with you. Both those guys are the, are the two that I most want to see the team do their best to to not hit free agency next February. And I think that the you know extending beard will be a good yep. you know pull for the other guys to come back to the team right because you got beard as that centerpiece of that offensive line one of the leaders on that offensive line i think it'll be good for for bringing guys back yeah and we know that figueroa is he signed into next year as well so we know he'll be back as well so you kind of have that that middle anchor and you have your anchor left tackle you're they they drafted a kid uh last week or two weeks ago now in the draft the pieces are, I think, are starting to come together with with how this line could look going forward. But we do have to get a couple more guys in our contract for me to feel feel as good about the offensive line going into next year as I did going into this year. The Ticats also signed a host of new players last week, Mike, bringing in American running back Devontae Dean, American offensive lineman Jordan Boatman, American kicker Ethan Ratke, global linebacker Panay Pavahi, who they selected in the first round of this year's global draft, Canadian offensive lineman uh, Ben Coxwara, American linebacker Carlton Marshall, and out of the greatest school in the land, the University of Toronto, Canadian offensive lineman Motabe Mary. Any of these new guys signing? Do any of them intrigue you, Mike? Uh, the uh, the Mary guy from the U of T. I'll say I'll throw you a little bone there. That <laughs> that intrigues me a little bit. I'm always happy to bring in more offensive linemen. Hopefully he uh, he can stick on this team. But uh, you know, just uh, you know. Bringing in a guy named Boatman. I was going to say, you're going to talk about Boatman, aren't you? I'm going to talk about Boatman. And I know that, you know, I can't put on expertise on any of these guys in particular. Only the information I have in front of me, I can tell you. But I I don't know, man. It just seems a little fishy. I think this might be, this guy might be a spy for the Argonauts or something, you know, trying to infiltrate (laughs) the Tiger Cats uh, franchise and and bring information to back to Toronto. So I'm kind of worried about that. Did Did you ever watch BoJack Horseman? No, I, I never, I never watched any of those. I know what it is, but I've okay. never seen any of the episode. <laughs> there was a character in that whose name was Vincent Adult Man, and it was literally three children stacked on top of each other wearing a trench <laughs> nice. coat. Nice. Bojack's a, it's a ridiculous show. Like it, it's, it's funny, but also kind of serious. It's a pretty good show. I, I really enjoyed it. But when I, when I, when I saw Boat Boatman, I'm just like, Boatman in a tie catcher. Like, I mean, the, how did the Argos let that happen? Like, I don't know right. how, I don't know how good this guy is. But you, imagine the amount of jerseys he would sell. Boatman '68, Boatman '59. You know what? Like, just, I can just imagine. Like, I, I could see him tens, selling. Tens of Argos fans would buy them. I know the whole season ticket base would <laughs> would purchase Boatman jerseys. They just completely missed opportunity bid by Toronto. Yeah, it's like why the Calgary Stampeders never signed Fred Stamps and put yeah. him in st- a stamped one jersey. Ah, right? never made it I mean, an proven player like Fred Stamps, it just makes even more sense. I mean, you bring in yeah. a franchise receiver, and he, his last name is Stamps. It's just too perfect. Yeah. All right, last piece of Tiger Cat news, Mike. I told you there was a lot to get into today. Is that football season is officially here as the Tiger Cats opened up their 2023 training camp on Sunday. We are recording this Monday afternoon just after their second training camp practice. I was at both practices yesterday and today, and there were some things I thought would interest our listeners who are unable to attend. A couple of small things first, as many probably already know, both Jaguar Davis and Seth Small were put on the suspended list by the team. The reasons for their respective absences have not really been made public. Smalls is a family matter. I believe he just his wife just gave birth to a child. But my understanding is that this is just procedural. 
until they can both arrive in Hamilton. And neither of these suspensions, quote unquote, are for any sort of disciplinary reasons. The team also placed Canadian receiver and fellow U of T alum Levi Noel on the retired list. So it looks like my wish of seeing him in a Ticats uniform will continue to go unfulfilled. Both Dylan Wynn and Kwaku Botang did not participate on either Sunday or sa- or uh, uh, Monday. Wynn wasn't even in uniform, but he was helping kind of coach up the D-line. So I do have to wonder if he's still recovering from the injury that he suffered last year. And we know with Botang, he's coming back from a torn Achilles. But, so he spent almost all of his time with strength trainer Marcellus Bowman. But he was in uniform and did have his helmet. So I feel like he's ramping up to get back in there. Maybe it's going to take him a week or so before he's really ready to go. So that's kind of all the clerical stuff that I saw and that I know. But as far as from what I actually saw from the players on the field, and I preface this by saying it's only two days of training camp, but Mike, you better learn to love Bo Levi Mitchell. He was slinging it the first two days. He looked as sharp as I have ever seen him. The throws had zip. His ball placement was superb. He launched some deep passes that landed perfectly. When he said he came to Hamilton to make the CFL fun again, it does not look like he was lying at all. <clears throat> so, Mike, I got to ask you, with this little bit of information from just two days of training camp, are you ready to fully brace Bo Levi Mitchell? Are you ready to Bo Leave? I am ready to Bo Leave. I, uh, you know, it might have took me a little bit when they first signed him to get uh, used to it because uh, over the years I haven't liked Bo Levi Mitchell very much, and the listeners know that. But he's on the Tiger Cats now. He is our guy. He is our quarterback. I am fully behind him. And, you know, hearing from you and others that were at training camp, you know, the, the zip on the ball, the accuracy he's passing with, uh, it doesn't look like the shoulders bother him at all. I am pumped to see him play as a Tiger Cat. All right. So that's really the only thing I had to All eyes, my eyes a lot of the time have been on Bo because of the injuries, because he's the, you know, the new star quarterback. Been a lot of time looking at him, but I did get a chance to look at some other stuff. But I want to ask you, you're you're not here. I am. Is there anything you're particularly interested in discussing? Like what areas of the team? Like do you like the only one I don't think I can really answer. Uh, none of these are definitive. It's two days. But one of them that I don't feel comfortable really talking about is just the defensive line because of of Win and, and Kwaku both right. not practicing and Jagarrett Davis not being here. So they've had a group out there. If memory serves me correctly, the first group was I think it was Carney and Bennett at the ends and Diallo and sales at the tackle spots. That's okay. probably the only group that I, I just, I can't really talk about at, at a decent length. Um, right. Just because I don't, we don't know yet who they'll start the year with because guys aren't healthy. Maybe that's the group that does start the year, even when guys are healthy or, or because these guys won't be healthy to start the year. But other, other than the defensive line, where, where else would you like to talk about? Well, anything you saw from the the receivers, like specifically okay. uh, guys that were maybe filling in the spot for Addison, did you see anything there? So I can tell you the starting. So Duke, uh, Duke, I did, didn't really do any of the 12 on 12 stuff, but I can tell you that here's what the receiving, the, the, if you want to know what the starting receiving group looked like, I can tell you that it was... Yep. Uh, the wide the wide receiver, so the, the stationary guy on the short side of the field was Anthony Johnson. The slot backs were Tim White on that side. And then on the wide side of the field, you had Keandre Smith at uh, at the wide side receiver spot. And then the two slot backs there were Terry Godwin and Tyler Tronowski. So the interesting thing there is two mm, Canadian receivers. Yeah. Yep. So if I was to guess, I would say that Godwin is in Duke's spot right now. But it does it, it we're gonna talk I'm sure you want to talk about the offensive line because there's 
the offensive line, the receivers kind of go hand in hand because of what they're doing at, at receiver where I would guess Ternowski right now is quote unquote replacing Addison. But until Duke kind of gets out there with the rest of the team, yeah, I, mean, I won't know that. I won't know if, if, if it's Godwin or, or, or Ternowski that's taking Duke's spot, but that's what I saw. And, and that's a, and, and I will say this, Anthony Johnson looks just as good as, as I thought he was last year. He, he, there was some, some one-on-one stuff they were doing against some of the DBs and he absolutely routed up some guys and, and, and it, it got the crowd going and it, and it got the the team pumped. It was uh, some, I, I expect that he's probably filling in for Dunbar from last year. I would not be surprised if, if he stays healthy for a full season, if he could put up some really big numbers in this offense. And how did uh, Godwin look? Because he's a guy that kind of Great. flashed some stuff last year. I think he has some decent speed on him. A guy who played in a big college down south. Uh, do you think do you think he's going to be penciled into the starting rotation in, in, in receivers? Or do you think um, he's going to be a man out and they're going to be two Canadian receivers? I got, the, the only way I can, I'll be able to say that with any certainty is seeing what they do when Duke is out Duke there. Duke comes back, yeah. I yeah, get that. that, yeah, that'll sure. be it. But from what I saw from Godwin, he belongs. He also okay. had he also had a couple of, I think he caught one of Bo's deep passes in seven on seven. Uh, I, I think I think he took like a corner route and basically went 40 yards for a touchdown and Bo like just dropped it in perfect. I think there was also one across the middle where Bo got it right over the an outstretched defender's fingers and it landed like right in Godwin's hands and he kind of cut up field and you know that once once that happens the play's kind of over but then took it to the house. It was again this team's kind of always has that they find a way to get American receivers up here that can play ball. And and if Godwin's not a starter, then he's the first guy. Like he'll make, in my opinion, make the team and be that first receiver off. Whether he's a practice roster guy or he's a backup, he's the first guy on the field if if they were to suffer an injury to any other guys. Now, what can you tell me about the O line, Josh? Uh, okay, who who is lined up out there? Was Van Zyl, you know, in pads? Is he healthy at the start of camp? Uh, what's going on there? So Van Zyl was not there, and if you go to the CFL transactions page, he has been designated an injured veteran. So I think this is just a way – he doesn't really need training camp. I think this no. is a way to save the body of a, of a 40-year-old player. But I didn't see him either on, on either day, but I wasn't entirely looking for him. And, you know, if he's in civvies and a, and a, a ball cap, which I've seen in previous uh, training camp, kind of hard to find him. But the starting lineup – and this is where it's interesting with the receivers – I think you know who most of them are going to be. It was left tackle Figueroa, left guard Revenberg, center Beard, right guard Woodmansey. Right tackle was Tyrone Riley, the American who started at left tackle last year. Interesting. Interesting. And this is this is why I thought the receivers in the offense, this is part and parcel. If they can start two Canadians in the receiving core, they could then start two Americans on the offensive mm-hmm. line. Now, that said... I do not think Tyrone Riley starts the season unless Van Zyl is actually hurt and won't play for a couple of weeks. I don't think if Van Zyl is healthy, he's starting at right tackle for this team. So I just, that was just what they, what they showed. Cause at first I was, I was a little confused. I was like, I was like, who's, cause I think he's number 62 or 66 or something. And I was like, but that's not Saxlid. And so then I had to look up the roster. I was like, Oh, Oh, they're starting two Americans. And then it's like, oh, two Americans, two Canadian. Oh, okay. It starts kind of started to piece it together. But they they looked pretty good. They were opening up some good holes for uh for James Butler on some of the run plays they did. And they're big. Like this is a like they're a very like you mentioned beard size, and he's the center. 
he might be the second smallest of the five. This is like a, a dream for me. Like this is <laughs> just like what I've wanted for so many years. Just a monstrous offensive line that imposes their will in the run game and protects the quarterback. Oh man. Okay, go on. Sorry, sorry. But you know ahead. what? You know what? It's it's funny because they're not just like. Do you remember back in the day? Like if we if we were to talk about you know thirty years ago, guys would come into training camp to get into shape for the year. Mm-hmm. Now guys come into camp in shape. Like it's you, you see the workout videos obviously on social media and stuff like that. But like a guy like Joel Figure, like the practice ended on Sunday, and then kids were there, and it, it was a pretty packed crowd because it's the first day of camp, so a lot of the fans show up. But there were a lot of kids there, and guys came out to sign autographs for the kids, and it was great. And Figueroa came out out of his pads and like, he's a big dude in pads. And then you see him out of pads. And it's not like, like back in the day, 30 years ago, offensive linemen were big, but they were out of shape. Like they were fat almost. Now <laughs> yeah. guys are like, I see receivers awesome. and they look like linebackers. And I see a guy like Figueroa who's, it's not like he's ripped, but it's like, he's solid. And like, mm-hmm. he's built like a brick shit house essentially. And it's like, man, these guys are just like, they're Uber athletes now. Like they I know we love the, the guys of the past, but man, you, you see the way these guys look now. It's just, it's a completely different animal. And I'm just, yeah. Like if you're, if you're in love with, with size on the offensive line, you're going to love this offensive line. Now, now Riley was filling in at the right tackle spot. Where was this? Was Saxlid? Uh, was, I can't remember if he was either the second string left or the second string, right? I think he might've been second string left tackle. Okay. That's where they okay. had him with that group. The secondary, you know, yep. you got the you got the boundary side cornerback spot that's open. You you got the, the wide side of the field, the field corner that's open. Anything you can tell us uh, to do with the secondary in those two spots? Early on, it looks like the leaders in the clubhouse for those jobs. We know so. Uh, JV and Elliott, who they signed in free agency, is the boundary halfback. Richard Leonard, field halfback, and Adela K starting safety. The two open spots, field corner right now, Lawrence Woods. So remember we talked last week about special teams. Could Lawrence Woods pull double duty? Could he, or maybe it was a couple, whenever we talked secondary, could Lawrence Woods pull double duty being the return guy and the corner similar to Frankie Williams? Well, who's the defensive backs coach that you mentioned? Jeff Reinbold, who's the special teams coordinator, Jeff Reinbold there. Maybe they're going to do something similar with Woods and the starting boundary corner is the one guy that no one really knows, but it's someone that we did talk about when we discussed secondary Starting right now is Will Sunderland, and he's the guy that I think we both kind of keyed in on as, well, they had some experience last year. Maybe they'll get a shot this year. And he did not look out of place. Uh, Woods, I'm, I'm a little less confident in as the field corner, but I don't think you'll see a ton of work. But Sunderland did not look out of place with the starting unit when they did 12-on-12 or 7-on-7 stuff. So that's what it's looking like as of two days into camp. We'll have to see, based on injuries and performance, of course, in the preseason game, what this looks like going forward. But... It looks like a decent, a pretty decent starting five, if you ask me. And now the last question I'm going to ask you is just the the overall vibe of camp on the first couple of days. High energy, uh, yep. screamy, shouty. Was there happiness going on? What what did you feel? Yeah, it's first day of school type stuff where you're excited to be back. Like I know most most kids are like, I don't want to go back to school, but it felt it was Simone was his typical Simone self. There was, there was Jovan Santos Knox the last couple of years was, was a more high energy guy. And I think they kind of missed that. Cause I think Jameer Thurman's a more subdued player, but Simone kept it high. Bo was on the side, like Bo was talking, Bo was leading. Like he's already taken control of this team as one of the leaders, which I really like to see. But yeah, the, 
the tempo was the tempo was hot. The vibes were good. It's it's the first couple of days. Come back to me with that question, maybe just prior to the end of camp. Like get get me give me two weeks and ask that again, and I'll I'll let you know how I feel about that because usually that's when the you know you get to about ten days, twelve days in. That's when the the sort of attrition sets in. Guys will have been released by then, and there's less players, and you you know the uh, kind of the tedium of just hitting your own teammates kind of sets in at that point. So, but yeah, so, so far yesterday and today, pretty, pretty high en- energy, pretty high tempo. It's uh, and it was fun to be back. It, football guys doing football things always makes me happy. And I think it makes the players happy as well. Well, that's Josh's camp report uh, brought to you by, oh yeah, that's right. We don't have a, <laughs> we don't have a sponsor for you. Well, yeah. <laughs> in the future. All right. That's all the tie cat news for this week. But if you look at your timer, we did almost an hour just talking tie cats, but there was a lot to get into. And I'm sure the majority of our listeners are more than happy to get our insights on everything that happened in Tiger Town this week, but we're going to jump right into our game this week. We're going to play another round of all in or all out. Mike, are you ready? I'm always ready for all in all that. All right, let's talk some CFL rule changes, Mike. The league announced a series of alterations to the rules for the 2023 season. We won't get into all of them because, quite frankly, some of them are extremely dull, like ball placement and yard line stuff. Don't care about that. But let's talk about one that I'm sure you're fully in favor of, and that is changing it so a rouge now counts on a kickoff whether the receiving team touches the ball or not. So, Mike, are you all in? or all out on the league changing the Rouge rule to add more ways to score that single point. I'm all out on this. I think it's pretty obvious that I was going to say that. It's just <laughs> they're adding to the dumbness of the of the Rouge rule, and it's just – I thought they got away with that a couple of years ago. I thought it was like you can't get a, a Rouge on the kickoff unless it goes through the back of the end zone, and now they're making it so it's easier to get point a point. So I, I'm just – totally against it they're going like you said on on twitter i think they're going backwards with the rouge yeah i'm the same i'm all out i don't like it scoring points on a kickoff like come on i I, and i know this is probably going to very few times we're going to see this i mean most famously we saw it in the gray cup but tim white did catch the ball but now if you would have let it go and let it bounce out the back of the end zone or out the side of the end zone would have counted anyway so i i it's I don't, you're scoring points on kickoffs. Like I, I don't, I'm, I know the NFL flirted at one time with if, a, if on a kickoff, um, you could kick it through the uprights on a kickoff, they would award you a point or something like that. And they, they were like, no, that's gimmicky and dumb. This is just more, I, the whole point, the whole thing we always hear about the Rouge, right. Is people say it's not, you're not giving away a point for failure. You're penalizing a team for not returning the ball out of their own end zone. Well, now you've taken that out. Now it's literally, if you just get the ball in the end zone, it's a point. That's stupid. I mean, I'm not anti, like you want the Rouge gone completely. And if they did that, I'd be okay with it. But I, the, the tweak is always, if the ball is not returnable, there's no single point. I don't understand why that just can't be the rule. Right. If it's not yeah. touched by a player on the, on the opposing team, you cannot be awarded a single point. It seems like such an easy rule to make. It negates the whole eight yard field goal that you kick out the side of the end zone and you, cause you miss it by 30 yards. It, it mm-hmm. stops those. Like, remember, remember when yep. there was like, why, why aren't teams punting from their own 40 when it's a tie game, instead of going for a field goal, instead of punting, a, you get rid of that nonsense that people would laugh at. It just, this is like, like you said, I mentioned that to where I think they're, this is taking this backwards, not forwards. I don't like it. I am all out. I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. It's just, uh, 
you know, it is what it is. And I, I would be for getting rid of it completely, but I, I would also be for amending it, uh, changing it a little bit, like you said. So, yeah, this just goes, this flies in the opposite direction of that. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate in my eyes, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. The other major rule change concerns holding in the end zone. The league has changed that rule where now if a team is penalized for holding a holding call in their own end zone, the opposing team will be awarded a safety. I will freely admit I had no idea this wasn't already the rule, as this is what happens in nearly every other football league I watch, college football, NFL. You hold in the end zone, you call for holding in the end zone, and your quarterback has the ball in the end zone. It is a safety when a team commits that infraction. So, Mike, are you all in or all out on the league adding the safety as a possible consequence of teams being called for offensive holding in their own end zone? I'm all in. I think that, you know, if offensive linemen can get away with holding to not give up a safety, they're going to do that. You know, if they're at the half-yard line and they get a penalty for holding, I mean, they can't really move you back any nope. further. So what's the point? So, yeah, I'm in favor of this rule. I'm all in for it. Penalize the guys so that they can't do this and get away with it. And, uh, yeah, give up the safety. I'm all for it. Yep, all in as well. I Like I said, I thought this was the rule because it's the rule in every other sports league, every other football league that I watch. So I was very, when it came out, I was like, this wasn't already the rule. And do you remember last year there was a very controversial holding call against – it was a, it was the Ticats Riders game at Tim Hortons Field, and Cody Fijardo was in the end zone with the ball, and there was a holding call, and it was – and it was called, but then they said it. he was out like because the ball was out of the, they said the ball was out of the right. end zone. So it wasn't, and it's like, but hold on, but the rule wasn't a safety. So why would that, like, it still would have just been a, a minor infraction penalty. You said any, like, like you said, like you're on the two yard line, you get a holding call. You put the ball at the one, like it's not, that's to me, not, not wasn't sufficient uh, penalization enough for something like that. Like I'm, I'm always, I'm the, I'm also someone that where like, I don't like the half the distance to the goal line stuff either. If you get a 15 yard penalty, if, if like if you're on offense on the 14 yard line and a team gets a 15 yard penalty, you should get the ball at the one. Put it as far as close as you can with it, before hitting 15 yards. I don't like the fact that it's like oh at the 14 yard line you you get you know uh, a face mask call and it's not a 15 yard penalty it's a seven yard seven. penalty. That to me it doesn't yeah. like make it so that these penalties actually have consequences. I'm all in on this one as well. <clears throat> Pardon me. Last one, Mike Edmonton Elks mascot punter has been nominated for the 2023 class of the Mascot Hall of Fame. Punter is one of 18 nominees up for induction this year, and if enshrined, would become just the second Canadian-based mascot inducted following Yuppie, famously from Montreal. I think he's the I think he's the Canadian's mascot now. Used to be mm-hmm. the Montreal or Montreal Expos mascot. He was inducted in 2019, and if Punter is enshrined, he would become the very first CFL mascot ever inducted. So, Mike. Are you all in or all out on punter making CFL history by being the first CFL mascot ever inducted into the mascot hall of fame? I'm all in on this one. I think that punter's a great mascot. You just look at him. He's all, you know, nice and round and he's a pretty cute guy. You know, he's a, he's a football. Uh, I think it's great that he's a football, you know, it's uh, I think he's just wonderful. I think he, him as a mascot is just top notch and, uh, I think you'd be well-deserved going into the Hall of Fame. Honest question. I mean, I, I guess I'm all in. It, it, mascot Hall of Fame, let's have some fun, right? Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, I know there's a lot of people that seem to hate this this character, but... Whoa, whoa, whoa. You hate him. You hate him. You've shown hate in the past for Punter. Yeah, you're right. I have shown hate for, for Punter in the past. You're right. He's a goddamn football. But you know what? Yeah, that's right. Let's get him in there. 
who it, it's Matt. But I got to be honest. Be, be be perfectly honest with me. Prior to this announcement, did you know there was a mascot Hall of Fame? I did not. No, no, I didn't know that. No. Did you know there's an actual physical Hall of Fame location? Wow, there's a physical Hall of Fame uh, mascot location, but no physical. Well, I guess they have it at Tim Hortons Field now, but it's not like a whole building yeah. type of thing no. for the CFL. But yeah, yeah w- where is it located? I- I'd like to visit that one day, maybe. Whiting, Indiana. I So uh-huh. I found this out when this happened. It was apparently the Mascot Hall of Fame started as an online-only thing when it was. So the, the first inductees were the Philly Fanatic, the famous yeah. San Diego Chicken, and I think it was the Phoenix Suns Gorilla. All pretty famous okay. guys, right? Like everyone kind of yeah. knows. If you know mascots, you, you know those guys. Well, the Hall of Fame was started by the guy who was originally the Philly fanatic. So I feel like he almost started the Hall of Fame just to put himself in a Hall of Fame. He inducted himself. That's, he basically that's incredible. Himself. It is. Wow. It's pretty incredible. But it was it was just a virtual thing for, I think it's, I think, I believe in looking it up, it started in 04 or 05. But then they found an actual place to put it in Indiana, and I think it was 2018. And there's like 30 mascots put in there. Some of them, it's like, like Mr. Met is there, who who I'm aware of. But like, there's some. I mean, mascot Hall of Fames are because I, because I've looked it up so much. Mascot Hall of Fames actually in my search history. Eat the Hall of Famers. So you got UP, you got uh, the Chicago Blackhawks bird thingy, I guess. Baltimore, mm. Baltimore Orioles mascots in there, San Antonio Spurs, uh, Brutus Buckeye. But yeah, the mascot Hall of Fame is a thing. I think it's kind of cool. Like, it's silly, but fun. Um, yeah. Punter's going up against, he's got some stiff competition co- going this year, though. He's going up against the Los Angeles Kings mascot, Bailey, which is, I, I believe, pretty. Uh, it's pretty a lion, famous. right? Yeah, he's the lion. Yeah. Punter's there. But the one that I think has got to get in, he's he's one of my favorite mascots. Is Jackson Deville from the Jacksonville Jaguars? I at like this guy is a hoot. I will um, I will send. You know what? Do you have your phone on you right now? Yeah. We're gonna do something live right here. I've got <laughs> last year at a Jags game, something happened with with him, and I guess where's the pictures? No, don't tell me I deleted them. Oh no. Ah. So was he playing football with like little kids or something, just plowing over them? Oh, or... there was. <laughs> There was that. No, he was at a game, and I guess it got so hot, he took off his costume and just had the cat head on and, like, painted his body and was wearing, like, a G-string. It was hilarious. I absolutely lost my mind. But, like, wh- where do you stand on mascots? Because I know that they're pretty they're, – they can be kind of controversial. Some people love them. Some people hate them. What, what's your stance on them just in general? Well, I'm not going to be uh, old, old, crusty Mike about this one. I love mascots. I think they're they're a good time, like you say, they're a hoot. And uh, yeah, I don't. I suppose some people find them annoying, but I I find them delightful, and and uh, they add to the experience at the stadium. Yeah, like, are you surprised though that Punter's the first CFL one? Like, a little why is bit. It? I mean, I mean, I've defend Punter in the past and everything. But come on, but TC man, TC iconic. Yeah, you gotta go TC. I mean, I, I'm a TC guy. I have been for for many, many years, and I don't even recognize the ones that came after TC. TC's the guy in Hamilton, and yeah, I, I, obviously, if I had a pick, I'd go TC over Punter. Yeah, yeah. It's, I I will, <laughs> didn't think I'd ever say this, but I will be following this selection. I believe Hopefully. the the voting's open to the public. I think it runs. I think it started on Sunday. No, it started on Saturday. 
it runs until I believe I think it's two weeks. I think it runs till the 27th. And then I be, I think they announce it a month later or so at the end of June who gets in. Uh, you know what? I, I, I badmouth punter. You're right. I've not been a punter guy. But come on, I'm going to rally around him. I hope he gets in. What about you? I'm pulling for him for yeah. sure. And uh, I think it's unfortunate that Nanook kind of disappeared the polar bear that they had. That's a cool. That was a cool last one. I yeah, like it was that a cool one. logo. I heard not a logo, a cool uh, mascot. But I anyways, know what though? You you I thought the logo with with the polar bear holding the E. I thought oh, that was it, the logo too. Yeah, that was cool too. Yeah, I like that as well. You see the vintage coats every once in a while around town here in Edmonton. But yeah, I, I I know when they got rid of the old name, um, you know they got rid of some stuff, and it's unfortunate yeah. that the polar bear had to had to go. But but yes, I I, I am definitely pulling for punter to uh, represent the CFL in the mascot hall of fame. Yeah, for sure. All right, before we go this week, we just wanted to let everyone know that Mike and I we will be doing our first live show of the year this Sunday. We're going to be trying out a new live broadcasting system, and we wanted to sort of do a pilot episode before we got back into doing live post-game shows during the season. So if you if you join us on Sunday, please bear with us. There will likely be some bugs, glitches, and kinks to work out as we kind of figure out how to to make our live shows after the games the best experience possible. We, we did them last year on Twitter, but we found that to be a little too restrictive, so we're hoping to... Uh, to, we're hoping this new thing that we found will, will help us in, in broadening the post-game show. And I hope you all join us. So I hope you'll spend a little time with us on Sunday to discuss what I saw throughout the first week of Tiger Cats training camp. And we're going to open up the trusty old mailbag and answer some of your questions. We've already received plenty of great questions. So please keep those coming. But you do not have to limit yourself to just football-related stuff. I don't know how long Mike and I are going are gonna to go on Sunday. Maybe a half an hour, maybe an hour. Who knows? We're probably just going to go until we run out of stuff to talk about. But ask us anything you want. You, like... Go get get silly with it. You top five movies, foods we don't like to eat, animals we think we could beat up in a fist fight. No question is too silly. Nothing is off limits. Ask us whatever you'd like. We're gonna have some fun with it. We're gonna we're just gonna sit around for however long we sit around for and just have a good time talking tie cats. Just having having a, a grand old time. We haven't net yet nailed down a specific time, but if I was to guess, I would say probably sometime Sunday evening. But once we do set a times in stone, we will post on our social media platforms so that you can join us for what we hope will be a, a pretty fun evening talking about the Ticats and everything else. Speaking of social media, Mike, you recently reactivated your qu- Twitter account for some godforsaken reason. So why don't you tell everyone now that you're back on the old tweet machine where they can follow you, where they can find you so we can get that follower count up for you before the season kicks off? Well, it was uh, it wasn't a reactivation. Reactiv- it was a totally new account. So oh. I know I- Podsky underscore Mike. Uh, yeah. And you can find me on Twitter tweeting my everything that comes into my brain. Although I try to try to not be on it as much as I used to, but I'll still try to get my you know, feelings on the tie cats out there and all that good stuff. So Podsky underscore Mike. Maybe people will stop assuming now that you're the only one who posts on the show account. <laughs> yes, I will maybe. say I do. I, that said, watching you take heat for something that I wrote, Always did give me a chuckle because it happened a lot. <laughs> it did, yes, yes. All good, all all well and good. Um, I, now I can, you know, come after Argonaut fans on my own account, <laughs> and they'll know who it is, and uh, it'll be all good. They won't have to, you know, call me a coward and all this, all that lovely stuff. And I and I love it. I love the Argonauts fans hating me. Hate me all you want, you guys. It's awesome. We talked about villains earlier. We, uh, we everyone's a villain to someone, and I don't mind playing the bad guy. The thing I don't understand about all these knuckleheads who thought. It, when I would say something, it was you. You used to, for the most part, like 90%, 95% of the time, you'd always put Mike in brackets at the end when you wrote something. 
And mm-hmm. I wouldn't put anything. I just assume that mm-hmm. people knew, well, if it doesn't say Mike at the end, it's not Mike saying it. Right. Yeah. And yeah. That's no what one, I thought too, no as well. No one picked up on that. No. No, I know. It's like I want to distinguish between the two. And, and I can see how people would be like, oh, Mike deleted his account. And, and now he's just hiding behind the anonymous account. But that, that wasn't the case. And, uh, yeah, it's just like you said, I tried to put it out there with Mike beside. And sometimes I didn't. If I didn't feel like it was like an opinion kind of thing, but yeah, it's all good. Now we have, we can see the separate accounts and uh, we can go for it. And like, and this isn't a, this isn't a shot at you and it's not a pat on my back, but if you couldn't tell in like the words we use and the grammar sometimes, like, right. Yeah, do, yeah, 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 exactly. I, yeah. Just maybe read Maybe Argos fans read are just it. dumb. Maybe, maybe I think that's the case. I think that's been the case for a long time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate down the QEW of such dummies, but yeah, we'll go with that. It wasn't our fault. It was there too stupid to pick up on it. That, that's yep. going to end. Yep. Yeah. No How accountability. Excited? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How excited are you to do a live show this weekend? Very Thanks. excited. I want to get this thing going. I think we're going to be, uh, it's going to be on Podbean. So, um, I'm not sure we're going to try to do the Twitter spaces as well. We'll see. Um, how it goes, but we will tweet out um, a link. We'll definitely tweet out a link or whatever on all our social. Yeah, platforms. and I think that you can go on Podbean Live if you you know you don't have the app or whatever. I think you can get it through, you know, just the internet. And uh, I'm not sure how that works, but we're gonna. That's this is why we're doing it, right? We're trying yeah. to get before we do the live shows for the for the after game, uh, the post game shows. So hopefully it goes smoothly, and hopefully you know you guys can join us, and uh, it'll be a it'll be a good time. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be a week into training camp by that point. I'm sure we're gonna have a lot of t- to talk about that's happened over the last few days. So it's it's gonna be a good time. So join us on Sunday. But until then, that was Podskiwi for this week. I'm Josh Smith, and I'm Mike Graham. Eat 'em raw. Eat 'em raw.